What a song, huh? I appreciate so, so much Adam leading that song. Uh, he always seems to step forward when I ask for a song that he hasn't led before and, and does it, and I'm very grateful for, for him and for his efforts. But I'm so grateful for that song, for the, the truth and the fact, the biblical fact that is in that song, he is able to deliver you. And the title of our sermon this morning comes from that. And the title of our sermon is, God is able. God is able. You know, sometimes, and I, as, as I sometimes try to do with sermons, uh, wear a tie that fits it. You may see my tie here. Sometimes we can get to the point in our life where we feel like we imagine a ship in a bottle might if a ship in a bottle could have feelings. We feel isolated. You ever seen two ships in the same bottle? Probably not. We feel isolated. We feel trapped. We, and again, if a ship in there could feel, we, we look out through the glass, we look out through the trap, and we, we see maybe bigger ships that are able to fly across the waves and have the wind in their sails and feel the power and feel the exuberance of what life is all about, but we feel trapped, trapped in our bottle, able to see the joy we're supposed to have but not holding on to it. And so we wonder, is God really able? Brethren, God is able. Please open your Bibles up to Daniel chapter 3 to begin this morning. This was the first verse or series of verses that came to mind, and usually do perhaps when you hear the phrase, God is able. Daniel chapter three, if you would turn there. Now, tell you a little bit about the backup to this story. I know in Bible classes, Bible teachers, we've, we've told this story, and the next one probably for years and years. If you grew up in the church, you probably heard it so many times you got it memorized, but what I wanna give you is a little background of the story that will help us to understand a little more clearly what's going on. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were young Jewish boys, teenagers more than likely. And you've got to understand what happened prior to chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar came into their homeland, ravaged it, destroyed it. Chances, if you study the whole story of these four boys, chances are more than likely that they perhaps even saw their own parents killed before their eyes. As Nebuchadnezzar just come in and marauded as he, as he burned down buildings, they may have seen their own homes burned. As you go on in the story, you read through Daniel chapter one, it is also more than likely that these four boys were made eunuchs. We don't see them with wives and families later on in the book. We see that orders were given to the head eunuch and he was over the rest of the eunuchs to take care of these boys. And so when you put all this together and you stop and think about it, these boys have lost their home, probably their parents because it was only these youth that were taken to serve the king in a foreign land. Probably eunuchs, they've been through horrible, horrible things. You with me on this? And then we see chapter three. King Nebuchadnezzar builds this big statue. And he says, I want you all to fall down before it. In fact, we would read from Daniel chapter three, verse 15. Look what it says. He says to three of these boys in Daniel chapter three and verse 15, if you're ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, 
and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you'll be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Just like that ship in the bottle. Who's, does God, is he really able to get me out of this? Am, am I, I just feel so trapped and alone. And, and this king says, who's the God who can get you out of this? Who is he? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king. Now keep in mind, this was the king who had marauded their homeland made them slaves at the very least, if not a lot worse. This is the guy they're addressing. Sometimes when life just continues to beat you up, maybe you lose heart, maybe you wonder, God is able or God cares. Look at these boys and look what they said. They answered this king, O Nebuchadnezzar. The king said, you better do this or else. They said, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this. Can you imagine? I mean, he could have said the word and they could have lost their head. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, that is, if you're going to throw us into this fiery furnace, our God whom we serve, they still served God. Don't miss that word serve before we even get to the punchline. Even after all they've been through, all the losses they've incurred, as much disaster as there had been in their life, our God whom we serve, we still serve him. We're still faithful to him. And guess what? He is able to deliver us. You know, sometimes in our lives we get into situations and we think, wow, it's just, it, it seems like it, it, it's going to go on forever. And the misery these boys had encountered, but they still knew, despite all their losses, God was still able. Do you see that? They hadn't lost faith in the fact that God was still able, even though he hadn't delivered Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar came in. He hadn't delivered them from being taken captive, but they didn't lose their faith in him. They said, we still serve him. He is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. What are they basing that on? God hadn't delivered them prior to this. Jerusalem, again, had been taken by storm, all of that. What are they basing it on? They're not basing it on physical fact. They're basing it on the fact they knew who God was. He's able and he will. And I love their next sentence. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image you have set up. You know what? Even if God, and, and this is the attitude we need to have, after all God has done for us in Christ Jesus on that cross, this is the attitude we need to have. You know what? Even if God doesn't deliver me, I'm still not going to do what the world wants me to do. Even if God, I know he's able, but even if he does not deliver me, I am still not going to stop serving and worshiping God. What an awesome thing. And we see their deliverance later on. Another story we're very familiar with, if we move forward just a little bit, is Daniel chapter 6. Our God is able. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel refuses to worship the way the king's decree said he had to. There's people that are out to get him. Do you ever, do you ever feel or, or worse yet know that there's some people are just out to get you? I'm not talking about they might be. I'm talking about there's some people just out to get you. Well, these guys are out to get him. And so they have this decree signed. Daniel goes and obeys God rather than the decree, and they take him and they throw him into the lion's den because that's what the law said. Chapter 6, verse 18. Follow along, please. After the king has Daniel thrown into the lion's den, he went to his palace, spent the night fasting. No musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. King arose early in the morning, went in haste to the den of lions. 
When he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice. And he was just sure Daniel was down there in little pieces if there was even bone scraps left. And so he says in a lamenting voice, he cries out, Daniel, servant of the living. Did you see that servant? There it is again. Daniel was still serving God. Even after all he'd been through, he was still faithful. Servant of the living God. Has your God whom you serve continually. Don't miss that. The king knew that despite everything that he had done to Daniel, Daniel still served God. Continually has your God whom you serve continually been what? Able <laughs> to deliver you? He is able. May I paraphrase? He's able. In fact, Daniel goes on to say in the following verses, not only is he able, but he did. Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I've done no wrong before you. Daniel says, I did what was right in God's sight. I trusted God, and God delivered me. The king was exceedingly glad for him, commanded they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den. No injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. You want deliverance? You want deliverance from the God who's able to deliver you? Trust him. All the way. All the way. No matter the fire, no matter the threat, no matter the lion's den you're in. This morning, I want to look at some of the other awesome and beautiful, powerful, powerful promises of Scripture that revolve around this timeless truth and this timeless fact that he is able. Our God is able. Turn to me to John chapter 10, would you please? I'm so glad you're here this morning. So glad to share the power of God's word with you in this message this morning. And if you're a visitor or a guest amongst us this morning, let me just take just a moment to ask you to take out a Bible, look on with the person next to you. All of the power in this morning's sermon is in God's word, not in Doug's word. Don't take my word for anything. Get into God's word. Read what it says. See it in the Bible. See it in the scripture. See what it actually says. The power is in God's word. John 10, verse 27. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This is crucial. Jesus is talking about the ones who hear him and follow him. He says, and I give them eternal life. Who does he give eternal life? Only those who listen to him and follow him. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Now, this is not a text that, the way some people use it, well, once you're saved, you're always saved, and you can't fall from grace. That's not what it says. No one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. Who's the them? The them is those who listen to him and follow him. Listen, if you listen to Jesus and you follow him faithfully, are you okay? Yes. Nobody's going to take you out of God's hand as long as you keep listening to Jesus and doing what he said. If you do that, nobody is able to take you out of God's hand. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Why is nobody able to snatch out of God's hand? Those people who listen to Jesus and truly follow him, I'll tell you why. Because God's able to hang on to them, that's why. 
He is able. We have an awesome God. An awesome God. Turn to me to Matthew chapter 20. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 20. Our God is able. You know, sometimes we'll get in a situation, we'll say, well, if God is able, then why didn't he? Legitimate question. What we're going to see in these texts is the answer to that question. If we believe God is able, then why didn't he? Because we have a part to play in this too. If we truly trust God, then we need to stick with him through everything. You notice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stuck with God, and God delivered them. Daniel stuck with God. God delivered him. They listened to God. They wanted to serve God. Yeah, God's able to deliver anybody from anything. But we prove that we want his deliverance when we love him enough to trust what he said and to do it. That's how we prove that we want his deliverance and his power on our side. We see that here in Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 25. Paul, talking to the Ephesian elders for the last time, he says, Indeed, now I know that y'all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. He knew his end was coming. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. This is a man who had killed Christians. How can you say that, Paul? He says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's why. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, draw, uh, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Notice what Paul says in verses 29 and 30. Don't miss this. He says to the elders, he said, look, I know after I leave, the church is going to have problems because people are going to come in from the outside and they're going to cause problems. The churches still get that today? People coming in causing issues from the outside? Yeah. Paul says not only that, verse 29, but verse 30, he said, I know that from amongst you, from within, there's going to be people rise up, split the church. They're going to cause problems. There's going to be problems with people coming in from the outside. There's going to be problems from amongst you. There's going to be men rise up amongst at least that congregation, if not the eldership itself, who are going to seek to draw disciples away from themselves. He said, you're going to have all kinds of trouble. Enemies from without, enemies from within, and they're going to seek to rip and tear the church apart. Still happens today at times and places in our country, doesn't it? Sure does. What's the answer? Well, Paul gives it to us very simply. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. The key is in verse 32, so now brethren. In other words, here's the solution. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. Brethren, God's word is what is able to still bring us through to the promise, no matter how many enemies come in from the outside, no matter who rises up from the inside, no matter what kind of trouble the church ever faces, God's word, if we stick with it, God's word, Paul says, I commend you in spite of all of these problems to God and the word of his grace, this word which is able, it's able to build you up and give you an inheritance, to keep your inheritance. What a powerful weapon we have in the Bible. What a powerful weapon. It's able to solve all the church's problems, isn't it? If we'll just do it. But it's able. 
Turn to me to Romans 16. God is able. His word is able. Romans chapter 16, Paul concludes his message to God's saved people in the first century. By the way, we see in Romans chapter 16 and verse 16, he's talking to the churches of Christ because that was the church, the body, Christ's church, that one, as we saw in Acts 20 and verse 28, that God had purchased with his own blood when God in the flesh died on the cross. And so to the churches of Christ, Romans 16 and verse 16, to whom this letter is written, look what it says in verses 25 and following. Now to him who is able to establish you, Romans 16, 25, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the everlasting, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the nations, to God alone, wise, be glory through Christ Jesus forever, amen. And you thought I used long sentences. Paul was the master of long sentences. But what is Paul's long sentence meaning for us here? God is able to establish us according to the gospel and the preaching of Christ. God is able, listen, for those who have obeyed the gospel, is God able to keep you safe till the day he takes you home, is he? If we hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and obey the gospel, and rise up to live the gospel, and we stay in his hand by trusting him, John chapter 10, and we listen to his word. He is able to, there's not a soul in this room going to get to heaven except by the grace of God. Nobody. When we obey the gospel and we accept his grace, that grace covers our sin because we trusted him and we accepted it his way and it is through that gospel and the preaching of Jesus that he is able to establish us and keep us Philippians chapter 3, please turn there. In Philippians chapter 3, another beautiful promise. Our God is able. Verse 17, Paul says to the churches of Christ in Philippi. To the church of Christ in Philippi. Philippians 3, 17, brethren, join in following my example. Note those who do walk, who so walk. As you have for us, as you have, I'll get this right in a minute. Let's try this again. Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who do walk, as you have for us a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, now tell you even weeping, they're enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, we set our mind on earthly things rather than heavenly things and we make those our priority, we got a big problem with God. For our citizenship is in heaven. That's what it's all about, heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Is Jesus Christ able to give you a body like his? It says he is. He will 
conform our body. He will transform. Heard a lot about that at the Momentum Conference. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious one. He's able to do that. If we set our mind on heavenly things, he is able as we pursue those heavenly things to change our... Won't it be great to get to heaven and not have sickness anymore? Did you know there's no prayer list in heaven for the sick as far as when we get there because none of us will be? Wouldn't that be awesome? As I said this morning, Bible class. No hospitals, no funeral homes, no nursing homes. Why? Because he's able to transform us. Have an awesome God. When we're tempted, though, and when we get into those sinful and shameful and selfish things, you know what else we have? When we fall as humans, and we sometimes do, and everybody does, you know what else we have? We have a great high priest who is, yeah, you guessed it, able. Hebrews 2.18 says, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Everybody's tempted. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 300 years. Satan's going to keep trying. But the beautiful thing is, is that even when we are weak and we fall and we make those dumb mistakes that we sometimes make, you know what? We have a Christ. We have a great high priest who himself has suffered being tempted and is able to aid those who are tempted, not only Hebrews 2.18, but we see it reflected in Hebrews 4.14-16. 4, My question for everybody in this room this morning, do you believe the scriptures we've read? I'm not talking about just acknowledging that, yeah, that's what it says. I'm talking about, do you really believe with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength that God is able? That's what I'm talking about. That God is able to raise up children to Abraham from the rocks on a riverbank, Matthew 3, 9. Do you believe he could have done that? Yeah. Do you believe that God is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy? Jude 1, verse 24. Do you believe that? With all your heart. Do you believe that God is able to keep you, to carry you, to protect you, to walk with you, to comfort you, to forgive you, to strengthen you, to help you as you serve him. Do you believe that he is able, even despite all the conflicts? Listen, following him and believing that he is able, knowing that he is able, that doesn't mean you're not going to have conflicts, folks. Did Daniel have conflicts? Did Jesus have conflicts? Did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have conflicts? Uh-huh. But through those fires, they lived a life that said, I know God is able. And he did. And he did. You know, the Apostle Paul believed that too. He, uh, no, no, I'm sorry, Paul didn't believe that. Paul knew that. Paul knew. He knew. 
God was able. And especially he knew when it came to teaching and preaching the gospel. When it came to reaching out to others with the gospel and sharing the gospel with everybody he came in contact with, Paul knew that God was able. And his life reflected it. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. For some reason it's gone from my Bible. There it is, hey. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look with me in verses 8 and following. Paul knew that God was able, especially when it came to reaching out with the gospel to telling others the good news of Jesus, to evangelizing, he knew. He said in verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed, watch this, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know. Maybe I should have picked that song for the invitation song, right? He says, for I know. He didn't say I believe. He said, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that, here it comes, he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. When you take that whole section of text, verses 8 through 12, what exactly is Paul saying? Because he knew God was able to take care of him and to take him to his goal, because he knew that. It didn't matter what he had to suffer. He was going to keep telling people about Jesus. Look in verse 8 again. It's the testimony of the Lord why he was a prisoner. But he says, you know what? This gift we have is so incredible. I was appointed a preacher and a teacher to tell people about it. That's the reason I'm suffering. But he said, you know what? I don't care. I don't care what they do to me. They can imprison me. They can behead me. They can do whatever they want to do to me. I don't care. Why? Because I know him whom I have believed. And I am persuaded. I know that he is able to take care of me until that day. Because he knew God was able, he would continue to reach out to others with the gospel, despite whatever personal cost or consequences or suffering, like he mentions in verse 8 that he had to go through. We've been talking in here for a long time about reaching out to others. We've talked about it most of my tenure here. We know that preaching, teaching, and reaching out to the lost all around us with the love and the word of God is one of the reasons we were saved. Why we're having our Wednesday night class on how do we do this exactly? And yet, we would never put this in these words, but I'm going to this morning. We would never just come out and say this, probably, but I'm going to. 
I think some of the biggest reasons why we don't often put a little more effort into personal evangelism is because we have somehow convinced ourselves that God is not able to do certain things. Let that just kind of sink in for a minute. I think the reason sometimes we don't talk to more people about Jesus when the opportunities are there or seek to create those opportunities is because we have convinced ourselves somehow in our mind that God is not able to do certain things. For example, I think we've convinced ourselves that God is either not able to still soften and open up hurting hearts to the gospel. We think, well, everybody that's going to be a Christian is a Christian. i got no way to reach out because, because somehow we've convinced ourselves God is not able to still help open up hurting hearts to the gospel message. My friends would never come around. God's not able to soften their heart. Yeah, he is, isn't he? Isn't God able? And sometimes I think, although we'd never put it in these words, perhaps we think that, that, that God is not able to help lead us to those who will respond appropriately. We pray, but listen, if you're going to pray in the morning before you go off to work, God, lead me to some soul today who will be receptive to the gospel. If we're going to pray that prayer, what should we do the rest of the day? Look for that person we prayed for God to, to send us, shouldn't we? You can pray for rain, but take an umbrella or else you don't have much faith. Is that right? But I think we convince ourselves that God is not able to lead us to those people or perhaps we believe that God is not able to give us the right words to address their questions. And I won't ask for a show of hands on that one. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Is God able to still soften hearts today? Is God able to help put people in your path who need the gospel? Is he able to give you the right words to say in answer to their questions? Is he able? Let's not ever say that God is not able to do those things. God has done far more with far less. I want to spend the rest of this morning's lesson, what time we have left, applying a few passages relating to God is able to our current 2020 vision, personal outreach and evangelistic efforts. First one I'd like for us to turn to is 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 in the Old Testament. Say, well, how does the Old Testament apply to evangelism? Well, we'll make it. We'll, we'll see the application here, I'm sure. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Applying this message of God is able to our personal evangelistic efforts. Personal, not congregational, personal. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, there is a quote-unquote great multitude that is coming against God's people. Great multitude. They're overwhelmed and outnumbered. Subsequently, the Bible says they feared and that they set themselves to seek the Lord. Because they're fearing this great multitude, they set themselves to seek the Lord. Verses 1 through 6. It happened after this, the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them, besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they're in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Jedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and he set himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And then Jehoshaphat 
stood in the assembly of Jude in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nation? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you. What is he saying when he uses the negative? No one is able to withstand you. What does that mean? That means that God is able to help them against whatever giant force they're facing. Verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Sometimes we feel powerless to take the gospel. And then we see that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Jehaziel, and look what he says in verses 15 through 17. He said, listen, all of you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord, don't be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude. The battle's not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They'll come up. They will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Was God able to give them the victory? Yes, he was. God was totally and completely able. Is he able to give us the victory when we seek to go out and do battle against Satan for the souls of men. Is he or not? Yes, he is. Absolutely is. So knowing that, them, knowing that, what did they do? What's the first thing they did? They sought him in prayer. What have I often said? Go talk to God about people before you go talk to people about God. They sought him in prayer. That was number one. Okay. His answer, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. Brethren, we too are vastly outnumbered. We're up against a great multitude. We as members of the Lord's church that we see in scripture, we are vastly outnumbered in this town, are we not? We are. If you're a member of the Lord's Church and you attend one of the local schools, you're vastly outnumbered there. No question about it, you are. In the place where you work, unless you're self-employed, <laughs> you're probably vastly outnumbered. In most cases, if not all. But what did he, that is God, who was both willing and able to give to them the victory, what did it depend on from them? This is, this is key. We know he was able to give them the victory. We know, the, no question. But what did that victory depend on from them? The victory he was going to give to them, what did it depend on from them? Do you see it in the text? Do you see what he said? Go, position yourselves. They still had to do something. They had to go. Go, position yourselves, do not fear, do not be dismayed. Go out, verses 16 and 17. How many times we got to see that in scriptures? The battle is the Lord's, but we still have to go. Same situation we see in Exodus 14, 15. I've mentioned it many times. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to go forward. 
God said, I'm ready, I'm able. Tell them to get going. And in the same way, what does the victory that God is both willing, able, and wanting to give to us? Does God want everybody that wants to come to heaven to be able to go, does he? Does God want everybody in Shoto and Maisie and Locust and Pryor and all of the surrounding towns, does God want everybody there who has the slightest desire to go to heaven, does he want to see them come? Absolutely, he wants to see them come a lot more than we do. He got a lot more invested, that's why Jesus died. God wanted to give his people victory in the Old Testament, whether we're talking about here with Jehoshaphat or we're talking about Moses and the Israelites, it doesn't matter. But in all of those cases, the one thing they had to do was to understand that he was able, but still go and prove they trusted him. You know, he says the same thing to us, the New Testament. What does he say? God's able to give us the victory in this town with every soul, to steal it back from Satan that wants to go to heaven. We know that. God's able. But what does he tell us to do? Same thing he told them to do. Same thing he told them to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Isn't that what he says? You go, because I'm able to make this happen. And if we go prepared by prayer, armed with the word, and doing what he said, you know, the battle is still out, it's still his. It's something we think, well, we're out there fighting the battle. No. We're out there going and being positioned and telling people about him. Our job is to get people into the scripture. Our job is to go out there and do what he told us to do. But it is he who adds the increase, as I said in the Bible class this morning. It is God who will give the victory. You know, sometimes I think that we think that our battle is against other people. Well, we're fighting this denomination, this denomination. We're fighting against this person. No, we're not. We're not. Our battle is not against other people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Isn't that what it says in Ephesians 6.10? Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of darkness, right? What's going on in our world, just like it's always gone on, there's a battle going on between God and Satan for the souls of men. That's what's going on. And we're simply foot soldiers of the king who've already been promised victory, who've already been given victory. But an army that is promised victory doesn't get the victory if they don't get out on the battlefield. Do they? Let's remember that we're his foot soldiers. It is he, Christ, who is our king, lord, master, and commander. We're just his followers. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. The question is, do we know, understand, live, and believe every day that God is still able or not? Do we believe God is still truly able or not? 1 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says he is. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Does that include personal evangelism? Does it? Sure does. Isn't that a good work? So that falls under every good work, doesn't it? God is still able. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says that God is more than still able. 
Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. God's able to do this. There's two other sections of scripture I want to share with you before we close this morning. First one is what I believe to be one of the most powerful texts when it comes to going out there and winning the battle for souls. One that tells us that God is able to give us a victory. And that is in Jude. Turn to me to the book of Jude, just before the book of Revelation, last book of your Bible. Jude's right before that. Very short little letter, book, whatever you want to call it. But again, here's a text that tells us how able God is to give us the victory in our evangelistic out, outreach. In verses 20 and 21, he gives us a fourfold recipe or blueprint for winning this battle. 20 and 21 of Jude. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Here's the fourfold blueprint if you want to win the victory. Keep building yourselves up in the faith. Keep studying. Keep learning the word of God. Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Keep on praying. Pray fervently. Keep yourself in the love of God. What does that mean? It means keep doing what God said to do. Do God's will. This is what did Jesus say? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 14, 15. We keep ourselves in the love of God by staying obedient to him. Just like Daniel. When he wouldn't pray the way they told him that he had to, when he, they wouldn't, when he wouldn't do what they told him he had to, but he kept on doing God's will. He kept himself in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ every day, live it as if it's the last day and the Lord's coming. And, and, and looking for that, that mercy at the end of time of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. If you do those four things, look at the very next line. Don't, don't separate these. Verse 22, and on some have compassion. Listen, if you're keeping yourself in the faith, you're praying fervently and constantly, you're obeying God, and you're waiting for that day to come, and that's what, what your life consists of, you will have compassion on the lost. On some have compassion, making a distinction. That is, give some the benefit of the doubt that are trying, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. This is what we will do. Save others with fear, pulling them out of the fire. It's as if the house is on fire. Listen, people's lives living in this world, their house is on fire. If you had the opportunity to save somebody that was in a burning building and you're running by the door, or you know that they're right there on the other side of that window and you can see them and they're crying out the window, they just need somebody to grab them. Would you grab them? Would you save somebody from a burning building if you could? There's an eternally, building, bur an eternally burning building in the fires of hell. And we need to be ready to pull, yank, snatch, grab whatever it takes to get people out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh, hating even the smell of sin on them. 
but we still need to pull them out because we hate that smell of sin. Look at verse 24. When we do this, now to him who is able, this all goes together. You can't separate it. Verse 20 and 21, this is what we need to be so that we will do what it says in verses 22 and 3. And he wraps it up by saying, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. What a beautiful verse, verse 24 is. God can keep me from stumbling. When I go to pull that person out of that burning house, when I go to, to present that gospel to that person and snatch them out of the eternal fires, God can keep me from stumbling. Is that what it says? That's what it says. Do we believe God is able? It says he is. He is able to keep us from stumbling and present us faultless before him with exceeding joy. I, I don't know the sins you've committed in your life. I don't know the sins that some of those people I reach out to with the gospel have committed in theirs. I don't need to. I don't want to. But I do know this. I know if I yank them out of there, I bring them to a Christ who is able to cleanse their sins and keep them faultless and bring them into his presence with exceeding joy. God is able to do that. But he can't do it with us if we don't go. The final passage I want to draw your attention to, you don't need to turn there. In Numbers, you can if you want, I'm fine with it. Numbers 13 and 14. God had promised victory to the Israelites. We know the story. Twelve spies go into the promised land, spy it out. They come back. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, say, we can do this. The rest of the spies say, no, we can't. Remember, God has promised to give it to them. It's a promised land. There's a reason we call it that, right? But I want you to listen to this. In Numbers chapter 13, verses 30 and 31, it says this. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we. Joshua and Caleb, they were sticking with the word of God. Didn't matter how big the adversary was, didn't matter how big the job was, they said, we are well able to do this. And the others said, we're not able. As we go out this week into the world, and we encounter lost people, which camp are we gonna fall into? The Joshua and Caleb camp that says, God is able. God is able to help me reach out to this person. God is able to soften their hearts. God is able to help me bring them to Christ if they are in any way, shape, or form willing. Are we going to fall into that category and say God is able? Or are we going to say we're not able? They're bigger than we are. Our personal answer to that question will not come in the form of an oral answer this morning, but in the form of our focus, our actions, our obedience, and our conversations as we encounter those people this week who have never heard the gospel nor obeyed it by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. What about you this morning? 
What about you? Have you obeyed the gospel by being baptized into Christ very specifically for the forgiveness of your sins because you know that God is fully able to forgive you and you know that that's what his word says and you fully trust him? Because you believe that he is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, have you done that? Jude one twenty four. And if you have already done that, you've already been baptized into Christ because you know God is able to keep his promise and will. Does your life, high school, retirement age, and everything in between and beyond, does your life, if you have been baptized into Christ, say to those around you, through your actions, your words, the way you conduct yourself and the way you speak to them about Jesus, does your life say, despite the fire you get through, despite the pain it may cause, does your life say, God is able and he will carry me through the fire, through the lion's den, and he will also carry me as I go out into all the world to teach the gospel. Do you know this morning indeed that God is able? Is that what you live in? If not, and you'd be baptized into Christ or you would like the prayers of the church to be stronger in your faith and for it to carry you this week, please come to the front as we stand and sing.